Section 15 of the Underground Railroad Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Underground Railroad Part 2 by William Still. Section 15. Five Years and One Month Secreted. Part 1. Many letters from John Henry show how incessantly his mind ran out towards the oppressed, and the remarkable intelligence and ability he displayed with the pen, considering that he had no chance to acquire book knowledge. After having fled for refuge to Canada, and having become a partaker of impartial freedom under the government of Great Britain, to many it seemed that the fugitive should be perfectly satisfied. Many appeared to think that the fugitive, having secured freedom, had but little occasion for anxiety or care, even for his nearest kin. Change your name. Never tell anyone how you escaped. Never let anyone know where you came from. Never think of writing back, not even to your wife. You can do your kin no good, but may do them harm by writing. Take care of yourself. You are free. Well, be satisfied, then. It will do you no good to fret about your wife and children. That will not get them out of slavery. Such was the advice often given to the fugitive. Men who had been slaves themselves, and some who had aided in the escape of individuals, sometimes urged these sentiments on men and women whose hearts were almost breaking over the thought that their dearest and best friends were in chains in the prison-house. Perhaps it was thoughtlessness on the part of some, and a wish to inspire due cautiousness on the part of others, that prompted this advice. Doubtless some did soon forget their friends. They saw no way by which they could readily communicate with them. Perhaps slavery had dealt with them so cruelly that little hope or aspiration was left in them. It was, however, one of the most gratifying facts connected with the fugitives, the strong love and attachment that they constantly expressed for their relatives left in the South, the undying faith they had in God as evinced by their touching appeals on behalf of their fellow slaves. But few probably are aware how deeply these feelings were cherished in the breasts of this people, Forty, fifty, or sixty years, in some instances, elapsed, but this ardent sympathy and love continued warm and unwavering as ever. Children left to the cruel mercy of slaveholders could never be forgotten. Brothers and sisters could not refrain from weeping over the remembrance of their separation on the auction block, of having seen innocent children, feeble and defenseless women, in the grasp of a merciless tyrant, pleading, groaning, and crying in vain for pity. Not to remember those thus bruised and mangled, it would seem alike unnatural and impossible. Therefore it is a source of great satisfaction to be able, in relating these heroic escapes, to present the evidences of the strong affections of this greatly oppressed race. John Henry never forgot those with whom he had been a fellow sufferer in slavery. He was always fully awake to their wrongs and longed to be doing something to aid and encourage such as were striving to get their freedom. He wrote many letters in behalf of others, as well as for himself, the tone of which was always marked by the most zealous devotion to the slave, a high sense of the value of freedom, and unshaken confidence that God was on the side of the oppressed, and a strong hope that the day was not far distant when the slave power would be suddenly broken and that without remedy. Notwithstanding the literary imperfections of these letters, they are deemed well suited to these pages. Of course, slaves were not allowed book learning. Virginia even imprisoned white women for teaching free colored children the alphabet. 
Who has forgotten the imprisonment of Mrs. Douglas for this offense? In view of these facts, no apology is needed on account of Hill's grammar and spelling. In these letters may be seen how much liberty was valued, how the taste of freedom moved the pen of the slave, how the thought of fellow bondmen under the heel of the slaveholder aroused the spirit of indignation and wrath, how importunately appeals were made for help from man and from God, how much joy was felt at the arrival of a fugitive, and the intense sadness experienced over the news of a failure or capture of a slave. Not only are the feelings of John Henry Hill represented in these epistles, but the feelings of very many others amongst the intelligent fugitives all over the country are also represented to the letter. It is more with a view of doing justice to a brave, intelligent class, whom the public are ignorant of, than merely to give special prominence to John and his relatives as individuals, that these letters are given. Escape of John Henry Hill from the slave auction in Richmond on the first day of January, 1853. John Henry at that time was a little turned of twenty-five years of age, full six feet high, and remarkably well proportioned in every respect. He was rather of a brown color, with marked intellectual features. John was by trade a carpenter, and was considered a competent workman. The year previous to his escape, he hired his time, for which he paid his owner $150. This amount John had fully settled up the last day of the year. As he was a young man of steady habits, a husband and father, and withal an ardent lover of liberty. His owner, John Mitchell, evidently observed these traits in his character, and concluded that he was a dangerous piece of property to keep, that his worth in money could be more easily managed than the man. Consequently, his master unceremoniously, without intimating in any way to John that he was to be sold, took him to Richmond on the first day of January, the great annual sale day, and directly to the slave auction. Just as John was being taken into the building, he was invited to submit to handcuffs. As the thought flashed upon his mind that he was about to be sold on the auction block, he grew terribly desperate. Liberty or death was the watchword of that awful moment. In the twinkling of an eye, he turned on his enemies with his fist, knife, and feet, so tiger-like that he actually put four or five men to flight, his master among the number. His enemies thus suddenly baffled, John wheeled, and, as if assisted by an angel, strange as it may appear, was soon out of sight of his pursuers, and securely hid away. This was the last hour of John Henry's slave life, but not, however, of his struggles and sufferings for freedom. For before a final chance to escape presented itself, nine months elapsed. The mystery as to where and how he fared, the following account, in his own words, must explain. Nine months I was trying to get away. I was secreted for a long time in a kitchen of a merchant near the corner of Franklin and Seventh Streets at Richmond, where I was well taken care of by a lady friend of my mother. When I tired of staying in that place, I wrote myself a pass to pass myself to Petersburg. Here I stopped with a very prominent colored person, who was a friend to freedom, stayed here until two white friends told other friends, if I was in the city, to tell me to go at once, and stand not upon the order of going, because they had hard a plot. I wrought a pass, started for Richmond, reached Manchester, got off the cars, walked into Richmond, once more got back into the same old den, stayed here from the 16th of August to 12th September. 
On the 11th of September, 8 o'clock p.m., a message came to me that there had been a stateroom taken on the steamer City of Richmond for my benefit, and I assured the party that it would be occupied, if God be willing. Before 10 o'clock the next morning, on the 12th, a beautiful September day, I arose early, wrote my pass for Norfolk, left my old den with a many a good-bye, turned out the back way to 7th Street, thence to Maine, down Maine behind four night watch to old rockets, and after about twenty minutes of delay, I succeed in reaching the stateroom. My conductor was very much excited, but I felt as composed as I do at this moment, for I had started from my den that morning for liberty or for death, providing myself with a brace of pistols. Yours truly, J. H. Hill. A private berth was procured for him on the steamship City of Richmond for the amount of $125, and thus he was brought on safely to Philadelphia. While in the city, he enjoyed the hospitalities of the Vigilance Committee and the greetings of a number of friends during the several days of his sojourn. The thought of his wife and two children left in Petersburg, however, naturally caused him much anxiety. Fortunately, they were free, therefore he was not without hope of getting them. Moreover, his wife's father, Jack McRae, was a free man, well known and very well to do in the world, and would not be likely to see his daughter and grandchildren suffer. In this particular, Hill's lot was of a favorable character, compared with that of most slaves leaving their wives and children. First Letter On Arriving in Canada Toronto, October 4th 1853. Dear Sir, I take this method of informing you that I am well, and that I got to the city all safe and sound, though I did not get here as soon as I expect. I left your city on Saturday, and I was on the way until the Friday following. I got to New York the same day that I left Philadelphia, but I had to stay there until Monday evening. I left that place at six o'clock. I got to Albany next morning in time to take the half-past six o'clock train for Rochester. Here I stayed until Wednesday night. The reason I stay there so long, Mr. Gibbs given me a letter to Mr. Morris at Rochester. I left that place Wednesday, but I only got five miles from that city that night. I got to Lewiston on Thursday afternoon, but too late for the boat to this city. I left Lewiston on Friday at one o'clock, got to this city at five. Sir, I found this to be a very handsome city. I like it better than any city I ever saw. It are not as large as the city that you live in, but it is very large place, more so than I expect to find it. I seen the gentleman that you given me letter to. I think him much of a gentleman. I got into work on Monday. The man whom I am working for is named Myers, but I expect to go to work for another man by name of Tinsley, who is a master workman in this city. He says that he will give me work next week, and everybody advises me to work for Mr. Tinsley, as there are more surety in him. Mr. Still, I have been looking and looking for my friends for several days, but have not seen nor heard of them. I hope and trust in the Lord Almighty that all things are well with them. My dear sir, I could feel so much better satisfied if I could hear from my wife. Since I reached this city, I have telegraphed to friend Brown to send my things to me, but I cannot hear a word from no one at all. I have written to Mr. Brown two or three times since I left the city. I trust that he has gotten my wife's letters, that is, if she has written. 
Please direct your letters to me near the corner Sarah and Edward Street until I give you further notice. You will tell friend B how to direct his letters as I forgotten it when I writ to him and ask him if he has heard anything from Virginia. Please to let me hear from him without delay, for my very soul is troubled about my friends whom I expected to have seen here before this hour. Whatever you do, please to write. I shall look for your paper shortly. Believe me, sir, to be your well-wisher. John H. Hill End of section 15 Recording by Lee Smalley